The rate of change for business and technology is unrelenting, and it's only going to get faster. It's forcing businesses to work harder than ever to remain relevant. In this podcast, we sit down with industry leaders to discuss what they're doing to keep pace with digital transformation and ultimately hug the curve of technology. You're listening to Hug the Curve. Here's your host, Steve Neesmith. Hello, and thanks for joining our latest episode of our Hug the Curve podcast. I'm your host, Steve Neesman. In today's episode, you'll hear my colleague, Shawnee Schaff and I from a recent chat with Caroline Fairchild. Caroline is the editor-at-large of LinkedIn News. And in our chat with Caroline, we discuss some very cool and relevant topics in today's workplace, namely diversity, women in the workplace, management, and what does great leadership look like? And I got to tell you, I was blown away at the insight and the great ideas shared by Caroline. So my hope is that you'll learn as much as I did from this podcast, and you really enjoy listening to Caroline. Thanks again for joining, and take a listen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the broadcast. It's great to be with you today. We have a very special guest, which I'll introduce in just a moment. But on today's broadcast, I'm also going to be joined by Shawnee Schaff, the Vice President of Marketing from Intelligence. Shawnee, thank you for joining me today on the broadcast. Thank you, Steve, for having me. I'm excited to have us talk with Caroline. I'm excited, too, because our special guest today is Caroline Fairchild, the editor-at-large from LinkedIn News, who has an unbelievable background and exposure to our topics today, which are diversity, leadership, and management. And in Caroline's career, she's been with LinkedIn, she's been with Fortune, she's been featured between her writing, her videos, her broadcast, her interviews, from Fortune to Bloomberg to CNBC to CBS this morning, and I could go on for 20 minutes, but. I'd rather turn it over to Caroline and have her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about your body of work and what's a day in the life of Caroline Fairchild. Sure. Well, Steve, thank you so much for that great introduction. You did a great job. So what you were saying before we started this broadcast and Shawnee, it's great to be with you as well. And hello to everyone who's joining the broadcast. My name is Caroline Fairchild and I'm an editor at large at LinkedIn News. And what that means is that I'm charged with bringing professional conversations to LinkedIn and make sure that those conversations are as diverse and inclusive as possible. My specific area of expertise is in diversity in the workplace. Uh, when I was at Fortune Magazine, I started a daily newsletter there called The Broadsheet, which highlights female leaders across industries. And an average day for me is really getting to speak with business leaders, particularly right now during this pandemic, about how leadership and management is changing and the challenges that leaders are facing right now, particularly when it comes to making sure that they're supporting their workers through this pandemic. So I host a daily live show on LinkedIn where we bring on guests to have conversations around everything that every, every, everyone on the stream is dealing with right now how to manage work and life, how to think about career right now during this pandemic. And I've been covering women in business throughout my entire career, but this time seems to be super critical in terms of how leaders are supporting women in the workplace. And I write and talk about that every day at work. <laughs> That's awesome, Caroline. So you've just given me like 55 questions to go through, but let's maybe start from a macro perspective if we could. And just from your eyes and the thought leaders that you talk to, What's going on in the workplace just in general at a high level of diversity? What do you see happening and 
What's happening with COVID to affect that and change it? Sure. So what I would say about how COVID is changing, how leaders are having to conduct themselves in the workplace right now, the first word that comes to mind is empathy. Before this pandemic, I think there was a movement to not treat your workers as if they're robots, uh, but to treat them as human beings who have lives outside of the office. People were talking about that and the importance of that when it comes to making sure that workers feel like they're being set up for success and that they can bring their whole self to work. Zoom forward to the pandemic where you know, now every meeting is happening from your home. It's impossible not to see the kids that are in the background or the puppy who may be barking or the, the stressed out partner that you see rushing, you know, behind the screen. And so we really are seeing, our coworkers are seeing our full lives. And the best leaders right now are diving head into right into that and allowing their workers to feel like that's okay, particularly given all the stress that we're under right now with this pandemic. And so that really to me is critical that Hopefully coming out of this pandemic, workers will feel like they can bring their whole self to work because their workers have seen their lives uh, in, you know, in real time through all these Zoom meetings that we've been doing. And Caroline, I'm curious on that topic of COVID and people working differently and being more seen for who they are and the environment that they're from. I'm also reading and hearing things, and I think you've written about this, how that's impacting women specifically. And can you talk a little bit about what those challenges are and what the long-term effects of that, of COVID could potentially be um, around women in the workforce? Sure. Well, this is a very timely time to be talking about this topic. Just this morning, McKinsey and Lean-In came out with their annual Women in the Workplace study, which they've done for the past seven years, and it's the most comprehensive study of its kind, looking at how women in the workplace are doing right now. And one of the most startling findings from that study is that for the first time in the seven years that McKinsey's been doing this study, women are more likely than men to leave their jobs right now. And there are some terrible stats in there around how you know women right now are 1.5 times more likely than men right now to be taking a step back in their career. I posted about this on LinkedIn this morning and I'm hearing from dozens, dozens of women across industry who are sending me emails and posting on LinkedIn about changes that they've had to make in their career right now because of the pandemic. And the trends behind that, Shawnee, are, you know, I don't think it's going to be news to anyone on this stream, but women are taking on an outsized role right now when it comes to both household chores that have increased during the pandemic as well as childcare responsibilities in many locations across the country online learning continues to be something that families are having to deal with and we know from surveys and we know from data that women are taking on an outsized role of that so if you put yourselves in the position of a female executive who is under a lot of pressure and now is doing more childcare, more household chores, and say they're in a position where they feel like they can't succeed, we're seeing more and more women take a step back. Uh, the other thing that I'll add, Shawnee, is that we know from LinkedIn data that millennial women, so you think about that, millennial women are the most likely to have young children at home right now. They're applying to jobs at a slower rate and they're getting hired at a slower rate. So if companies don't figure this out, it's gonna have a devastating impact on the slow but steady progress that we've made of having more women in leadership positions across industries. And so, you know, Cheryl Sandberg said on, I was just, I was at a conference I was at a conference. I was attending an online conference this morning and she said, you know, speaking about this report, you know, if there was a panic button, we need to hit it. And so this is a really critical time for leaders, for managers to really be thinking about how they're supporting all of their talent, but specifically women. That's really interesting, Caroline. So I'm going to take this analogy of the pandemic and a really negative byproduct is the, the stress and the added pressure 
and the stepping back, if you will, to a women's career. So you taught us just a moment ago that empathy is a big piece of leadership. So all leaders of organizations in our audience today need to have that empathy. Let's take it a step further maybe and say, how do we build with this pandemic and the implications that need to be empathetic, but what do we do to our culture? How do we become better leaders? Maybe A, to recognize this phenomenon or this, re this reality, right, that's happening. And what should we do to adjust our culture how do we help and solve part of this problem? I think open lines of communication are probably the, the key to a lot of this. So if you put yourself in the position of a woman at your company who has young kids at home and is feeling stressed out right now, it's putting the burden on her to kind of have that conversation is I think insurmountable when she's already feeling like she's not performing at the level that she wants to perform given the extenuating circumstances that is this pandemic. So I hear from a lot of business leaders who are putting it on themselves and making sure that they're being proactive and having conversations with their direct reports about how they're doing and making accommodations as needed. Uh, I think coming out of this pandemic, what this has the opportunity to do, you know, if you think about specifically women in the workplace, the number one perk, if you will, that they were asking for before this pandemic was flexibility. Flexible hours, more, you know, more flexibility. And you, if, you, if you think about it, you know, we have that flexibility kind of now because of this pandemic, we're all working from home, but the data is still telling us that women don't feel like they're being supported. And I think what that has to do with Steve is that, yes, we are working from home that allows us to have, you know, be a little bit more flexible in how we're logging in, when we're logging in, et cetera. But because this flexible working arrangement kind of happened overnight and in a crisis, a lot of companies haven't thought through, okay, what does this really mean for the long term? And so, you know, this, this short term of, okay, we're all gonna be on Zoom all day and in meetings, that is not working for a lot of workers. It's not working for a lot of women. And so the conversations that I'm having now with business leaders are around, this is the new normal. How are we going to conduct ourselves like this in a sustainable way? And one of the big way, big issues with that is boundaries around work and life. You know, I'm coming to you right now from my, my bedroom where, which is also my home gym, which is also, you know, it's very hard to separate when am I working out versus when am I sleeping versus when am I working? And, you know, if you're not careful, you can be working all, all the time because your office is now your home is now your everything. So I think that that also is a critical conversation that managers need to be having. And, you know, LinkedIn, for example, has done a few concrete specific things. Um, they have made Fridays no meeting days for a large part of the company as a way to kind of give that respite. And uh, we didn't have performance reviews this year. A lot of tech companies kind of put performance reviews on pause just to give employees that extra solace of, you know, feeling like they, you know, they are really being supported. And not having performance reviews, that's really a long-term investment, right, in the in your employee base, saying, you know, this might hurt us in the short term, but in the long term, we're investing in you, and we want to make sure that you feel supported right now during this challenging time. So I'm curious. I mean, you talk about boundaries, and I think you know one of the common things that I've read, you know, when it comes to women working is uh, we're much tougher on ourselves than um, you know we probably need to be in most cases. I mean, I think that's part of so the issue sometimes, right? I've read some statistics where you know women are less likely to apply for a job unless they check you know 100% of the boxes. Where I think our male counterparts are willing to go for a job even if they don't check 50% of the boxes. 
Um, so let's take that kind of mentality into what you're talking about, where we're always expected to be on, but these women are feeling forced into this position, like, well, I can't do it all, so I need some respite. How do we have those conversations as leaders, um, you know, and how do we coach leaders within the organization to talk with their counterparts about giving that grace? I mean, I think the first thing is that it's it's tough. I think the more that you as a leader, I prior to this pandemic, uh, did a survey of working mothers. And one of the top reasons that they cited stress was that they felt like their male colleagues were not talking about the fact that they also had kids at home. And a number one solution for working mothers to feel more supported was just to have men talk about the fact that they have kids, which seems like a simple thing. But, you know, pre-COVID, that was what working mothers were telling me was really essential for them to feel like they could you know, leave at five to release a nanny or duck out for an hour in the middle of the day to deal with a childcare appointment, whatever it is. Putting that same finding into our COVID pandemic time, I think the more particularly male leaders are showing empathy, are saying like, look, I'm, I'm not having a great day. Bobby is sick and my puppy is, you know, nine at the foot of my desk right now. That really opens up the conversation for women to feel like, oh, I can talk to you about this because you're going through the same things. Um, you know, this is very gender stereotyping, but you know, I think that sometimes it's challenging for men to, you know, bring their bring their their lives into their work. And I think right now, given the circumstances, it's a requirement of any great leader to really be transparent with their team about what's going on. Uh, I don't know about you, Shawnee, but I feel like I've learned so much about my colleagues throughout this pandemic and I know more about their families I know more about the circumstances and I candidly think that it makes us all work better together because of that additional context you know when you walk in in the old days you'd like walk into a meeting and you know maybe Steve is you know seems a little bit agitated and you're wondering is that about is that about me is he agitated at me and then you'd hold on to that for like the rest of the week like oh Steve's mad at me but if you just had that additional context of you know Steve's kid is sick, which we now have because of the, the new world order, it makes working conversations so much more transparent. And so I would say the more that leaders can kind of show what they're going through and offer that safe space for direct reports to do the same, the more high quality of conversations we're gonna have in this kind of clunky remote world. And also I think just the better teams are gonna work together. That's really good, Caroline. As the man in this conversation, you know, part of the takeaways that I'm getting from really good insights from you is that vulnerability, that transparency, the open communication that says, I'm a man and I have this problem. And I'll stereotype a little bit, but it's backed up by research. Generally, women are more open with one another, form more bonds, and that's a strength of an organization. In this case, you're giving me advice as a man and an organization as leaders to be vulnerable to show that transparency and through that transparency comes trust and comes trust comes performance and I'll call it almost an improvement in your culture. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that that's great. And you know, what I would add to that is, you know, like I said at the beginning, this is a tough thing for everyone to do, right? You know, Shani just hit on the fact that women put a lot of pressure on themselves. There's so many data points in this McKinsey study that says that that's even worse during this pandemic. And so I think just us all acknowledging just what a challenging time it is mentally uh, for all of us and trying to get work done is just, it's, it's, there's a whole slew of challenges. I think the better off that we'll all be. And I think, you know, part of this is 
we we've been struggling to get that seat at the table to begin with and now you know we're in this position where okay we're almost expected to be always on but if i'm not always on then is that seen as a negative because now you know i i'm not going to be able to be at the late night meetings that maybe other people that don't have children are able to participate in or if they're going the extra mile um you know which isn't necessarily always the truth that they're going the extra mile it's just that perception to the person that's not there um that they're missing out and how do we come i guess how do i say this is it better for our leaders to recognize look everybody can't be here so we should try to be more flexible and get things done during working hours when uh, we're not putting expectations on people with families. I don't, what is your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. I think the first thing that comes to mind is this really gets down to what Steve was talking about in terms of the culture of the organization. Uh, I worked in a newsroom early on in my career, and it was definitely a butts and seats organization where you know you were definitely there was people watching when you got in and when you left. And that was, a, you know, there was a perception that those who were at their desk for longer were, you know, performing higher. And of course, that's an absurd assumption. And we all know that that's not how work is productively done. But that was definitely a feeling that I had early on in my career. And I've been in organizations who have that culture. And that's the opposite culture that you want. And, you know, thinking about this pandemic, if you have that culture, in your company, you're not going to be successful. And so, you know, I think high level, we have to really think about how we're measuring performance. And this really gets into a lot of the unconscious bias that, you know, people have where they unintentionally are seeing, oh, you know, we use Slack for our chat communication here at LinkedIn. You know, oh, Rodrigo is, you know, is on Slack, you know, front all day. You know, you might unconsciously as a manager say he's working harder. But you really need to look at the data and compare, you know, Rodrigo's performance to Michaela's. And if Michaela is, you know, just working just as just as hard, but is able to do it in a shorter time span or in different hours throughout the day, then Michaela should be rewarded at the same rate as Rodrigo. But that's this unconscious bias that we all have, um, you know. And so that's really where you have to be clear about how you're how you're rating employees and how you're having these conversations with them. And I guess. Shani, for like, you know, people who are joining this conversation and are thinking, you know, having that, that feeling of pressure of like, oh, I can't go to that meeting. Hopefully you can have a conversation with your manager about that and say, look, I can't make this 9 p.m. meeting because that's, you know, bedtime for my kids or whatever it is. Here's how I'm going to proactively prepare you for the meeting to be in my stead or, you know, I will watch it recorded, whatever it is. I think showing that, you know, not being timid about saying, I'm not going to be there because of this reason. And this is what I'm doing about it. How does that work with you? And having clear communication with your manager, because if these things aren't the go unsaid, that's really when the unconscious bias can creep in because no one's talking about it. So Caroline, to that, I want to take that a little bit further. So I, I love the conversation here on diversity, male versus female, really great insights. To that another level, what about sort of I'll call the millennial or the younger worker and the more mature worker? What is COVID doing to that dynamic? And what do managers and great leaders that want diversity and want to have a great culture, do we have a bifurcated approach to different age groups or different diversity? Or is there a common way, a common language? What do you see in your experience today? 
Right. So I think the from data that we're seeing and surveys that we're doing on LinkedIn, the, the age demographic that's most stressed out right now really is our millennials. Because if you think about it, they're at, you know, a, a lot of them are in a position in their career where they're supposed to be like skyrocketing. This is when the promotions are coming. This is when they're trying to move up. They're a few years into their career, but they're not necessarily established. And then this pandemic happened and it's just this, this crisis moment of, am I, you know, like Shawnee was saying, am I you know, continuing to achieve at the level that I want to achieve? And how do I do that remotely? How do I get time with my, you know, with the boss, whatever it may be in this new environment where we're you know, constantly in these video conference meetings all day. So what I would say is that I think definitely there needs to be some focus in, in on that, right? So if you have people on your team, who may not feel very secure right now in terms of where they are in their career or how they're progressing during this time, the open conversations are really important. So yeah, I think that there definitely is an age element to this as well, because for people who are more senior in their career, they can kind of think like, oh, this is, you know, this is, I can, you know, maybe not be as progressing as much as I need to be because I'm already at the top or whatever it may be. And so, yeah, there definitely is some, some age findings that we're seeing on and off LinkedIn as well. How do we become better coaches to these millennials that need support and guidance, or at least for us to say, hey, we recognize you, we see you working hard, and bring that to the spotlight? I mean, that was a question that actually got brought to me recently. Um, you know, there there's people that are heavily contributing behind the scenes. It may not be in the spotlight. How do you bring that to the forefront so others see it and make them feel like they're being recognized for their work? Do you have any tips on that? Yeah, I mean, here at LinkedIn, we do, I think, like, it, I think they're kind of corny, but I think they do mean a lot to a lot of people, just like these, we, have, we call them, like, internal, like, crush it, crushing it awards, where, you know, we give opportunities to employees to basically nominate people that are on their team for these awards, and then we present them, I think, on a quarterly basis, and that's one example, but I think there are ways that you can just show your employees that you care via either internal awards or I just saw an, an article about how um, gifts that, you know, company, corporate gifts are on the rise as, you know, managers are trying to think about small things that they can do to sh show that their employees, that they appreciate what they're doing during this time. So I think those are a couple of things that can be done. But you know, speaking personally, I just think, you know, just, you know, being overly communicative with your, your team about how they're doing. Um, and if they are doing a great job, over-recognizing that. I hadn't, had a converse, this is a personal note, but like I remember last week, I hadn't spoken to our editor in chief for I think like four or five weeks. I saw him, you know, in a, in a group Zoom and he just sent me a quick chat, you know, just applauding my recent reporting. And I was, you know, maybe this is a comment of my own mental health, but I, I was shocked at like how much that meant to me, you know? And I think it's because we're in this remote environment you know, I'm, I, I don't get that daily touch point with him in the office. And so just having him slack me quickly that I'm doing a great job meant the world to me. And so I think if you're a manager on the stream right now, just know that a small thing like that is going to brighten the day, the week, the month of an employee who is really stressed out right now and may not know that they're doing a great job. Carolyn, let me put an elephant in the room for our audience today. So. Sure. You're part of LinkedIn. You're in the technology industry. You've got Microsoft. You've got LinkedIn. You've got Intelligence here. We're talking today. We're in technology. If you look at technology across America, at least, the percentage of diversity and specifically women in an organization and in management is well up underrepresented. 
what do we need to be thinking about as a collective organization and as a leadership team? How do we focus on this? What are best practices? Is it quotas? Is it directions? Is it specific task force? How can we improve those metrics? Because at the end of the day, with the lower percentages, we're underperforming and we're underwhelming as organizations, and we're all guilty collectively. What can we do better? Sure. And Steve, unfortunately, the data is bearing out that those numbers are going in the opposite direction during the pandemic. I looked into industry hiring rates a couple months ago, mm -hmm. and the share of women that are getting hired in the technology industry right now is vastly lower than it was last year and vastly lower than pre-COVID levels. So Good. unfortunately, this is a really big problem. And what I will say is that, you know, the business case is there for diverse teams. I don't think that, you know, there's a single CEO that I would, you know, sit down with who wouldn't say, you know, that they understand that diverse teams perform better as it's spared out in the data time and time again. What's interesting though, is that even though lots of leaders believe that, they're not taking the steps that they need to take to ensure that they're bringing in diverse talent. And why is that? Because it requires more effort. It requires slowing down the hiring process to make sure that they're you know, bringing in not just you know, Steve's, you know, just Steve's cousin's uncle, or Steve's uncle's nephew for the job interview, but really thinking about, are we really widening the pool of talent that we're looking for? And I think a positive outcome of this pandemic, as we all are continuing to work remotely for the foreseeable future, there's a geographical component that you know you could think creatively around where your talent is coming from. You know, it used to be, even if you worked in tech, you had to be in San Francisco or where you know in the Silicon Valley area if you wanted the top tech jobs. That's no longer the case. So, where how can you think about making sure that the talent that you're bringing in is more diverse? Quotas, I think. You know, I was talking to there. I was at another conference, at a conference yesterday, uh, and Melody Hobson, who is the she's the founder of Ariel Investments. She was like, she's you know very prominent black female leader, and she was talking about you know quotas and how she just you know I think before the protests in this country against systemic racism started, she was really against quotas, and now she's like, well. If it's if nothing else is working in your organization and the numbers are continuing to be what they are, maybe quotas are what you need to consider because right. at the end of the day, if you're not making managers accountable or tying their business performance directly to their, how diverse their team is, this problem isn't going to go away. You know, it's, if it doesn't become a critical part of your strategy and how you're measuring success, the numbers are going to stay the numbers because it's much easier to hire people who, who look like you and come from your background. You know, it's interesting. I read that yesterday from Alan Murray. He wrote about it, your former organization, Fortune. Former, former boss, yes. Yep, yep. Lo love his stuff and love the organization, what they write about. And the takeaway for me in my role is quotas, no quotas. There, there, you could, there's pros and cons of both. But at the end of the day, diversity and female participation in the workplace, both in all levels of management and leadership, is something that has to be on our agenda. It has to be focused on. It has to have attention. It has to be measured. There, there's no other way around it. And to your point, and I didn't know this, so thank you for this, that COVID has actually put the numbers the wrong direction. So it accelerates that importance of leaders in organizations. Yeah, and I think you know, to speak more specifically about why the numbers are the numbers, I think there are two things going on. 
you know, a lot of companies aren't hiring right now, right? And so there aren't a lot of open positions. And so any diversity efforts that were within companies before are kind of stalled because quite frankly, they don't have open roles. But then mm -hmm. also, as we know from, you know, my reporting and surveys that we've done on LinkedIn, you know, a lot of women are being forced right now to take a step back in their careers. So they're not, you know, going for the promotion or they're not going for the next role. Um, so that that's kind of, there's a, the marketplace right now is not suitable to getting more women into, uh, you know, male dominated industries like finance, like tech. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious because I feel like even when, there wasn't the pandemic, there was still a little bit of a struggle with getting women attracted as talent within technology, getting women to get more of a seat at the table, um, you know, within organizations, and this is everywhere across the board, that the number of C-level executives that are women is a very small percentage. And I think you mentioned earlier this unconscious bias that occurs. So how can we teach, um, you know, and maybe it's within, having a female initiative within an organization that's helping um, leaders understand you know where to look what kind of coaching can we provide where can we enable that conversation to begin like okay let's there is an unconscious bias here's what it looks like here's how we can start to work around fixing that sure i think what i would say to that is you have to be really critical about how you're assessing talent and who's quote unquote a good fit for the open role or for the promotion. I did some reporting last year around you know women in technology and you know some of the findings of that reporting were you know even women who are say within the marketing function of a technology company or in the communications function or say the product management function not you know, software engineers who are at a computer, so that they felt because they didn't have a technical software engineering degree that they were not being assessed fairly for promotions because they didn't have that background. Well, that background is not necessarily necessary for, you know, a marketer who's in a tech company to know how to code. But they felt like because they didn't have that and they still are in the larger umbrella of a tech organization, they weren't seen as equals and were being passed up for promotions. So that's really an unconscious bias. It's not like the manager is like thinking, oh, Susie doesn't have, you know, a, a technical degree from Stanford, so I'm not promoting her. But that's in the back of his mind when he's thinking about, you know, who is better fit for the role. And so that's really where, you know, you have to think about what are the actual skills that are needed for this job? And you know, is you know, is this person is this a growth opportunity for them? Do I see potential for them to grow into this role? And that's really where the only way that we're going to see more diverse talent into leadership positions is if we widen the net. If you think about you know, really high level, um, you know, the the lack of women that are on boards of directors right now. A big reason why that is is because you know, CEOs didn't want people on their boards that weren't CEOs. Well, 3% of the CEOs in the Fortune 500 are women. So if it's a requirement to be a CEO, to be on a board of directors, there's not going to be very many female boards of directors. So now boards of directors are thinking more creatively around what are actually the experiences that I don't have, that perhaps others have that I can bring on to my team. Carolyn, one fine question, final question for me. I love to ask people that are so connected like you this question. It's a really simple one, but in your career, who has been mentors? You're such a voracious reader. You're so well connected. If you talk to our audience today, who are great mentors that could make our audience more diverse, more inclusive, better leaders? Who comes to mind? Who works for you? 
Yeah, so um, I have also uh, the privilege of sitting on uh, Duke's Fuqua School of Business uh, Board of Directors, and their dean, Bill Bolding, I think is you know a thought leader in this space. He um, is a white man, but thinks very progressively about all of these ideas, and he talks a lot about not just IQ and EQ, but um, DQ, this what he calls DQ, which is what is your what is your decency quotient. And he wrote a book about this, which I recommend. Uh, but it's okay. So IQ is how smart you are. EQ is how emotionally intelligent you are. Both of those things are essential in the modern workplace in order to be successful. But his argument and what he talks about a lot is like, what is your decency quotient? How are you a good person? <laughs> Do people want to, you know, be around you? And I think increasingly that DQ component is something that we're all gonna need to lean into going back to what I was saying earlier in this conversation about empathy is, you know, if, if you're, if you're, you know, not a nice person, it's, I don't, I think the days of, you know, the, the mean guy in the room getting ahead because, you know, even getting promoted, even if he's not a nice person, I think those are way behind us. And so I would definitely say him, in terms of you know remarkable female uh, business leaders that I've had the privilege of being able to sit down with, Melinda Gates is amazing and she writes a lot about this topic on LinkedIn. So I would recommend that you follow her. And Steve, you also just mentioned Mary Barra, who's the CEO of GM, and she's amazing uh, and she's doing some incredible work as well. And then I mentioned Melody Hobson earlier in the call, who I fortunately get to speak with later this month. I haven't spoken with her in, in quite some time, but she is definitely one to, to follow in terms of thought leadership and, and mentorship as well. Caroline, I, I just want to say maybe two words. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, the gift you've just given our audience was incredible lessons of leadership, management, diversity, and I've been taking copious pages of notes because there's a lot to focus on, a lot to learn, but with your permission, I'll just replay some for our audience what you've left us with. Really from what I call a leadership perspective, best practices and COVID and all this craziness going on, but men and women need to lead with empathy. Leaders need to give their employees flexibility, whether it's a child, whether it's a parent, whether it's COVID craziness and the separation of the bedroom from the workout, we need to give our employees flexibility so that they can thrive and perform. In the areas of just an individual, we all need to be more transparent. We need to be more vulnerable. We need to communicate to one another. And this is my word, so if I get myself in trouble, forgive me, but maybe sometimes men need to lean on more the skill of women, which is generally, generally is the word here, they're better communicators and they're more open than men. If we can bring that to our culture, organizations will be better. And then you told me, and I'm listening well, and I hope our audience is too, focus on diversity has to be on the agenda of every organization. It's not going away. And diversity and those organizations that embrace diversity perform better. And I know the guests that you have on there, whether it's Melinda, and I could just go through all your powerful guests, the evidence shows that. And then finally, I asked you some of the question that's important to me as a lifelong learner, great stuff out on LinkedIn, right? You told us about skills for inclusion, the road ahead. I would be remiss if I didn't say, go out and subscribe to Working Together, get your weekly and we need to learn from you. And then to the last point, which I absolutely love, DQ from your Dean at Duke, 
your decency quotient. Treat your human. And I'm going to give a quote and leave it with you. On the newscast I've seen many times on NBC, you know, they conclude the broadcast with saying, be or take care of yourself and take care of one another. And I think that's very important in COVID today. So you've given our audience, including myself, just valuable content. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Shawnee, it was great to be with you.